the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Happy Friday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us as March continues to march on, if you will. Clever. Time change this weekend. Oh, Spring Brian. Forward. Oh, Brian. Don't talk to me about it. I can't, I feel like I'm still recovering from the last time change. It's funny. My wife struggles with time changes, understanding them. And yes. so I love to mess with her a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's this weekend. So you spring forward. Spring forward. Lose an hour of sleep, but get some more daylight. Wait, so it's a good thing. I guess that's good. I do like the more daylight. I there do like go. that. As I tell my family, you're losing that for one one night. You're good. You're good. So go to bed earlier. So uh, it is. And one of the things, Aubrey, that I think more daylight does to us, warmer weather, springtime, makes us all happier. It does you think? make us happier. Last weekend, I don't know if you remember, Brian, it, we had a very sunny Saturday. Of course, then the weather turned pretty quickly. But I was like in a great mood, feeling like I had a spark for life again. And I was like, oh, this is literally because of the weather. Wow. I I didn't realize how much the weather impacts my mood. But you're right. The sunshine, the daylight, it all helps. And there are friends of mine who like that is such a legitimate thing where they have like sun lamps or whatever they're called in their their, uh, rooms and such. Yeah. But this got me thinking about happiness, Aubrey. And there's Mm -hmm. a Yale professor and I've heard of her before. But she teaches the secret of happiness to the masses. So she teaches about the secret of, uh, of happiness. She's a professor of psychology at Yale University called Dr. named Dr. Lori Santos. Uh, and she has a popular college course that has a waiting list beyond what you can imagine. And now she's turned it into a podcast series entitled The Happiness Lab. Huh, interesting. Are you ready for this? The Happiness Lab has been downloaded over 64 million times. Wow. Because it says it teaches the scientific way to live a happy, huh. a happy life. She went on to say, why are there so many happiness books and other happiness stuff and people are still not happy? Mm. She answers her own question. She says, because it takes work, because it's hard. She noted a Gallup poll that found only 38% of Americans were, quote, satisfied with their life. And it goes on to talk about anxiety and other things. But here's, let's not miss the 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 top line here. 64 million downloads to a podcast that promises to discuss the secret of happiness. Is that at all surprising? I mean, it definitely tells you something, doesn't it? That people are searching for happiness in their life. I, I Yeah, I mean, obviously this is a felt need if she's hit hit 64 million downloads. That's right. I'm, I, look, I haven't ever listened to the podcast, but I'm looking at some of the titles, Burnout and How to Avoid It, Fighting That Meh Feeling of Languishing. Mm-hmm. Embracing sadness in the pursuit of happiness, how to be angry better. Like those are things we're all dealing with, especially it feels like coming off of COVID and, and through the last couple of years. So I can see why this hit really That's hard. Right. Yeah. Uh, she notes, it says that her students are surprised that money doesn't make most people happier. Wow. Noting that a recent research shows it only helps those who live below the poverty line. So if you need, need, need money to put food on the table, some more money will help. Yeah. And here's, tell me if you think this is fascinating. Uh, She notes that a recent paper by Matt Killingsworth, a senior fellow at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, he studies happiness in humans. 
it shows they've got this scale okay. Okay, of happiness. It shows that if you increase your income from $100,000 a year to 600000 like that's a, well, that's six times. It's but a massive increase. Think about if you made a hundred grand. Yeah. Uh, and then you started making, you know, uh, 600 grand. Mm-hmm. We like to call that radio money, right? You go up to 600 <laughs> grand. That, Brian's joking if you were you wondering. Want, it's past your money. Do you want to know how much of on that scale goes up the happiness they found? I would think six times, but I'm guessing that's not what it is. One point. No From 64 way. to 65. And she goes on to say the amount of work you have to put into mm. sextuple your income, you could instead just write it in a gratitude journal or you could sleep an extra wow. hour. So it's not money. Wow. And it's not all of these things. And I think what she's finding is people are coming to her podcast or coming to her class. Again, this came out of a class where there was just that. This was the class, by the way, that had the longest wait list at Yale University. Unbelievable. Wow. And so people are just trying to figure out happiness. Aubrey, we learn this in the Bible, mm. don't we? People are trying to find out. Everybody's wow. trying to figure out the purpose of life and ultimately What's going to make me happy? So before we give mm-hmm. the church answer, don't you think that's something ingrained in all of us? We all want to be happy. We yeah. all want to have purpose. Yeah, I, I, I think that's it. And and it, it is interesting to me. This is the, like you said, the longest wait list at Yale, this massive amount of downloads for the podcast. There clearly is a longing in humanity to experience happiness. And I guess what the lie is how we think we go about it, right? And I think we would say finances. Like that would be something even as a even as a pastor, an educated Christian, like a quote unquote professional Christian, I would have said certainly making more money is part of it. Of course, we know that those are like lies that the enemy tells you. I'm sure there's some sort of status we think then we'll experience happiness or once we've got kids once we've got a spouse once we i don't whatever it is those things we say so i'm curious to know though scientifically like what's the answer she gives an answer i'm <gasps> oh, glad she, she does. did let's hear it she said and remember this is from yale university this is completely because then i want to spin to how would we as pastors yeah. how do we as christ followers yeah. answer this yeah. when asked what's the answer to the purpose of life so she talks about how the purpose of life kind of out of that comes happiness okay. right okay. she said it's smelling your coffee in the morning, loving your kids, having sex and daisies in springtime. Hmm. It's all the good things in life. That's what it is. Wow. So she says, after all of this, she says, figure out the good things. I'm using air quotes yes, here. Yes. Invest yourself in those and uh, you're going to be happy. I think as Christ followers and as pastors, we'd say, uh-uh. Yeah. It's not y- going to do it. How yeah, would you answer that? Yeah. I mean, that it, it's interesting because I do think there are beautiful um Habits that can be formed when we stop to smell our coffee in the mm-hmm. morning instead of rushing out the door. You and I have talked about the value of loving our kids and our family as a way to be faithful. Mm-hmm. But I think what what we would ultimately say, Brian, is that alone is not going to fill that void in your life mm. that's looking for happiness and purpose. Because ultimately, it's it's not the coffee. It's not the kids. It's not the daisies and the springtime and the sex and the good things in life. It's the one who created that's those right. things. That's and right. so we would, I think, I can speak for you, Brian, Go deeper than what she's saying here. This professor is saying and say, yes, enjoy your coffee. Enjoy the springtime. Enjoy daisies. Look for the good little things in life. But remember that those are gifts from God. Mm. And when we are worshiping our creator and living for him, when we're worshiping the creator of those good things, that's when we find the deepest satisfaction we can find that's in life. Well, that's well put. So uh, so then how do we find happiness in God? Yeah, because well, I've preached that message a million times. Right. Obviously, difference between joy and happiness. Yes. But for this part, let's talk about happiness. Yeah. What does it look like? What's step one? How, how do we anchor our happiness in Christ? 
This is a good question because I sometimes I get in seasons where I do struggle with this because we know the like you just said the promise of scripture is not like our daily happiness mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. The, the promise of scripture is Jesus will be with us when we're not happy and when life is really hard so I do think there there comes a time when you are feeling unhappy mm-hmm. and you've lost that spark for life I mentioned that early on you do have to begin centering yourself back on the things of Jesus mm-hmm. and who Jesus is. And that may mean for you um, opening up your Bible, spending time in the word and stopping to intentionally praise God for who he is and for the good gifts he's given you. Like some of this is kind of going back to old school spiritual disciplines mm. of gratitude and contentment. And they are practices. They are habits. And unless we're focused surrendering to Jesus, it can be so easy to let our circumstances and even our emotions of unhappiness um, be the thing that defines us. But there is sort of this, like we almost need to be defiant against it through the power of the Holy spirit. And like, I will choose to worship Jesus today. Mm. I will choose to be thankful for the sunshine outside or for the time change or for the, (laughs) for the coffee. I guess what I'm, I guess I'm, a, a practice of gratitude to God for who he is and what he does is a start. That's right. That's right. So what makes you happy? That's what a question all of us need to answer. Where do we find purpose? Where do we find happiness? And how do we answer that as Christ followers? It's such an important life question. Well, coming up next, Dr. Eric Seibert, professor of Old Testament at Messiah University, is going to join us to talk about his new book, Enjoying the Old Testament. A Creative Guide to Encountering Scripture. You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, and Aubrey, you and I are both pastors. Mm-hmm. We preach, uh, you know, we, we've done grad school, all this kind of yeah. stuff. The Old Testament's hard. And a lot of times, <laughs> I, if I'm honest, when I studied the Old Testament, it was like the Old Testament was kind of eating your vegetables and the New <laughs> Testament was dessert or it was the meat, right? Like that's that's kind of how we went about it. And so when it's we saw this book, we, we wanted to talk about it. We're excited to have on author and professor of Old Testament at Messiah University, Dr. Eric Seibert. Uh, Eric, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. It's absolutely our pleasure. And we're excited to talk to Eric about his new book, Enjoying the Old Testament, A Creative Guide to Encountering Scripture. Eric, before we dive into the book and you can kind of dispel some of those myths and help us understand just the beauty of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Before we do that, could you just introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Sure. I am a professor of Old Testament at Messiah University, which is located in south-central Pennsylvania. So I um, I do teach quite a number of um, basic Bible classes here at Messiah, and I get to talk quite a bit about the Old Testament in those, so I, I enjoy doing that. I am uh, married, have three children. We live about a mile from the university, so um, I have no good excuse if I'm late for work. I'm really close. <laughs> <laughs> Good community to be part of here. That's great. That's awesome. Well, okay. I I just want to jump off of of what Brian said. I think a lot of Christians out there, you know, know they're quote unquote supposed to read the Old Testament and and maybe they really love the Psalms. Beyond that, I think a lot of Christians, you know, besides some of the familiar stories, are a little lost when it comes to the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. What do we do with it? Can you unpack why the Old Testament matters for us? Sure. I, I mean, I think the Old Testament 
it's um, really important because it's obviously part of Christian scripture. So it's uh, been you know a set of texts that have you know sustained the church for a couple thousand years, and I just think it's filled with all sorts of you know relevant stories that connect with our faith today. There's you know resources for worship. There's um, emphasis on doing justice. Um, we could even find in the Old Testament some um, alternatives to violence, which is not what people not where people typically tend to go for that, but there's just so much richness in the Old Testament um, that I, you know, I want to encourage people to, to, to dive in and, and, and read it. Yeah, and so let's jump there. Uh, what does it look like to dive into the Old Testament? Because again, if somebody just starts in Genesis and they don't know the Bible well and they just start reading, uh, it can get kind of weird pretty quickly. And, uh, and so that's, you know, a lot of times people just dive into the New Testament. But how do you help people understand, uh, here's how to read the Old Testament. Here's how I would suggest even starting. What would you tell people? Yeah, that's a great question, and, and I do think you're right. I mean, some people, they you know do a read the Bible through in a year, which is certainly fine, um, but they maybe make it you know through Genesis and perhaps through Exodus, but they kind of stumble <laughs> by the time they get to Leviticus, it's kind of all over. So that's <laughs> probably not, not what we want to happen, because there's a lot more Old Testament beyond Leviticus. Um, so it may be something as simple as, you know, if, you, if you're not very familiar with the Old Testament, perhaps start with a short book. Maybe start with, you know, Jonah or start with Ruth and just take one book and look at the, the entire book and try to work at it that way. Um, or just find some other way to, to really get engaged with it. Again, come up with a plan. Maybe it's I'm going to, you know, work with this one chapter for a week and I'll just keep looking at the chapter. I'll read the same chapter every day this week and see what maybe new insights emerge. Mm. But the book kind of contains a whole list of different kinds of really practical types of ways to get engaged with the Old Testament. Um, and I think having some kind of a plan of, in terms of what you're going to do is really helpful. Mm, that's so good. Just start with a plan. I like that. It's good advice. Um, another question that I hear a lot, Brian, I'm sure you do too, it, it just questions about why the God of the Old Testament seems different than the God of the New Testament. You know, what what, the, what is this wrath and these wars and things that are genocide, things that are so hard for us to understand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that if we aren't reading carefully, feel like they're actually different from Jesus. Now, I think you'd probably say something different, but I, I would love to hear your thoughts on some of those bigger questions that people have about the God of the Old Testament. And I think that's a real struggle for a lot of people. They, I mean, they do experience these portrayals of God in the Old Testament as being quite different from how they experience Jesus and the God that Jesus reveals. Um, and it's a really complicated question. Um, it's, that's been a, a big part of my writing over the last number of years, trying to think about how we can um, talk about these these portrayals. I think for me, sort of my short answer would be that um, when we read the Old Testament, we read these portrayals of God, it's important to keep in mind that just because a, a biblical writer portrays God in a certain way does not necessarily mean that is the way that God actually is. Um, they, they're products of their culture as well, and so sometimes those cultural um, understandings of God come in um, and are reflected in the text as well. So that has to be, I think, carefully discerned. I think we ultimately look to Jesus as our, you know, as our clearest and fullest picture of who God is and kind of use that as our measuring rod, as it were, to help us think through some of the other literary portrayals that we find. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, let me ask you this way. Uh, does How would you answer this question? Does everything about the Old Testament point to Jesus? Is it all just pointing to Jesus, or is that a more complex question than that? I think it's a bit more complex than that. I mean, I, we certainly have New Testament writers who are using the Old Testament um, in ways that help them understand who Jesus is is, and, and they can look through the lens of these Old Testament texts to do mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always really 
careful though. I want to, I want the Old Testament to kind of have its own integrity. So it's not, sometimes I, I worry that if that's, that's the way we frame it, then it might feel like the Old Testament is just kind of the, the precursor to the, to the main event. Mm-hmm. And so then sometimes I think people think, well, no, why bother with that? Let's just jump to the main event and just <laughs> go right to Jesus. And Jesus is great. I'm all, I'm all, all about Jesus. But um, there are things in the Old Testament, I think, that have their own integrity even before you know, the coming of Jesus. And we want to make sure we read it on its own terms. Mm, that's, that's so good. I would love to hear just from your personal perspective, Eric, what are some of your favorite passages of the Old Testament? I really like the book of Exodus. That's a book that sometimes if I get the chance to teach a full semester-long course, I'll teach that particular book. So i really intrigued by the whole chapter about the manna from heaven. Um, when it was sort of introduced to me as a student, just how that chapter helps us think about trust in God and what that looks like and how it develops. Um, so I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by um, uh, Exodus chapter 3 is another passage I really like because it, we have Moses with the burning bush and how much that suggests about how God's call works, even for us today. Mm. That sometimes, you know, God's call comes in the mundane, um, you know, out in the backside of the wilderness, and here's this thing that happens and gets his attention. Sometimes, you know, God's call means we have to make some, you know, vocational, locational changes. So I just think there's lots of really practical things you can draw out of those uh, those kinds of stories. So you're probably hearing me say, I like the stories. That's kind yeah, of that's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, enjoy those. Yeah. And Eric, let me let me let you go with this one. This is going to be a hard one, too, but I'm guessing people wonder about this. Some of the Old Testament stories seem kind of uh, fan- fantastic, right? Like uh, Noah in the ark or you've got Jonah in the belly of a whale or whatever else it might be. How important is it that people hold that every one of these is, you know, literally and exactly true? Or is it more? I already asked you earlier, but more complex than that. How do we think through kind of the stories that seem really somewhat outlandish? Yeah, I think I would I, I would want to say that truth can come in many different forms. I mean, God is so creative and resourceful. God is not restricted to only communicating truth through something that is historically accurate. Mm. Um, but God can use you know, use parables, use other forms of of literature. And so I don't I don't feel bound by that. I think we can try to ask, you know, what what genre is this in the Old Testament? How would this have been understood in the ancient world? And, and what might that say to us today? There's, there's lots of truth to be had, even if we, at the end of the day, say, you know what, maybe this didn't actually happen. That's great. Just the way it's written here, literally on the page. Yeah, I appreciate that. Again, Dr. Eric Seibert, author and professor of Old Testament at Messiah University. He's the author of a new book called Enjoying the Old Testament, A Creative Guide to Encountering Scripture. You can order Eric's book at Amazon or at ivpress.com. Again, that's ivpress.com. Eric, great job on the book. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks again for having me. Our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. Hope you're doing well. All right, Aubrey, we're pastors. Uh, and this, what I'm, I'm about to read a tweet that you've talked about before on the show, and we've batted around a little bit, mm-hmm. but never really dove into. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here it is. I'm just going to read the tweet. Okay. And then we're going to see where the conversation takes us. Let's do it. Erin Hicks Moon, you said you know of her from a podcast, but it, she's just the one who tweeted this. So I want to make sure to give credit where credit is due. She tweeted this the other day. You can't use the example of Jesus turning over tables as a catch-all justification anytime something makes you mad. 
Jesus turned over tables because religious systems were oppressing people. Mm. So she's saying two different things here. Yeah. Uh, not not contrary things. She's kind of making two points. Uh-huh. One, don't just say Jesus turned over tables, therefore I can get yes. mad. So I want to take that one first, yeah. and then we'll move to the second one that she said, because Jesus turned the tables for a very specific yeah. reason, not because his anger boiled over. But, right. first, but, but right. let's take the first one. I hear this all constantly the time people going uh if you're like hey you know fruit of the spirit you know civility Uh this and that jesus turned over the tables of the temple therefore i can yes insert whatever i can be a jerk online i can i can not show civility i can do this Uh i can do this the catch she's a hundred percent right here that the catch-all is always well jesus turned over the tables why, in your opinion, I know what you feel about this, so I'm yeah. not going to ask you if you agree with her, right. but why, in your opinion, is she right? Why is this a bad thing to use as a catch-all to kind of be righteously angry? I, this is how I've heard this used and why it's wrong. I, I've heard it used almost like the the serious version of the, uh, what's the Will Ferrell movie where they have the whole baby Jesus conversation? Talladega Nights. Yes, Talladega yes. Nights. Well, my favorite Jesus is baby Jesus, you know, my favorite Jesus I like three-year-old is, Jesus. Yes, yeah. yes. This is that thing. And I feel like, you know, I, we keep we keep talking about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, but I feel like this is the Driscoll saying this is my favorite Jesus. This is the manliest Jesus. He had a whip and he turned over tables and he, and therefore then like you just said Brian the justification is therefore I can act like a jerk whenever I feel like it. I can be angry. I can flip over tables and this is used as a justification to defend sinful behavior. Mm. Mostly sinful male patriarchal behavior. I'm mm. going to be frank. And that's why you can't use it because Jesus was not being sinful when he was flipping over tables. Jesus was angry about God's people turning people turning God's house into a marketplace. The holiness of God was being threatened. And that is a yes. Let's get righteously anger over that. But you can't just because you're in a bad mood and you want to be a jerk and a bully to somebody. You can be like, well, Jesus was flipping over tables, so I can too. It just gets totally minimized mm-hmm. and becomes a derivative of what it actually good. is. So let's talk righteous anger. Yeah. You hear that phrase sometimes, and I don't think we'd say that's a paradox. I think there's times mm-hmm. that there's righteous anger. Mm-hmm. So where is it okay to be, quote unquote, righteously angry? Yeah. And then the more important question I think to that is, even in those moments of righteous anger, how are we to act mm, as Christians? Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question, Brian. I mean, I think, again, we have to we have to look to when God got angry and when Jesus got angry. And it was it was always over sin and idolatry. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. At different levels of that oppression uh, would be a version of idolatry. Um, uh, worshiping any other God would be idolatry. But what we're also told in scriptures is like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Pray for your enemies. Bless your enemies. Like Jesus talks very succinctly about turning the other cheek to mm-hmm. your enemies. Uh, so it's it's wild to have to hold these things in paradox, being righteously angry over things that anger the heart of God, while also treating those who are making you angry with honor. Mm-hmm. And respect. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not saying I can do this perfectly, but I do think we see Jesus do that. What do you think, Brian? I'd, I'd like to hear from your perspective, because I do feel like this gets used a lot by men. Yeah, there you know? is, uh, you know, 
Uh, we talked about Braveheart the other day, and mm-hmm. I joked about how every that's like every men's ministry <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, every Christian every, guy. We've all yeah. used it as a sermon illustration in youth ministry or yes. regular church or whatever. Yeah. The uh, there is, let's be honest, with men, there is a macho-ness. There is a machismo. There's a, you know, I've got to be this uh, picture of a guy, William Wallace from mm-hmm. Braveheart. Yeah. And then we want to make Jesus into that image and go, okay, to be a Christian, I need to, what's the, what's the spot we get that image, right? For Jesus, it's, uh, it's, he turned over tables and was whipping and this, you're like, oh, there's the Jesus we want. But like you said, uh, for every turning over the tables, we have 10 talks about, uh, put others before yourself. Yes. Bless this. Yes. You do this. I'm crying, right? These Feet washing, yeah. dying for people who right. are his enemies. And yeah. the, the greatest picture of, of manliness uh, in Braveheart that then translates back to Jesus is William Wallace dying for his people. Mm. Like that's the ultimate yeah. sacrifice. It's yeah. not the, uh, the, the macho killing right. of this and that. Right. And, uh, and, and so I think that's what gets at the heart of this. But we also want justification for, uh, in some good ways, I think, of standing up for yeah, you're what, right. what Jesus taught of, mm-hmm. you know, we see this going on in our culture and mm-hmm. it makes us angry and we've got to stand up and fight. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. The question is, what does it look like for the church or for Christians to stand up and yeah. fight? Like, how do we fight? Yeah. Not do we fight? The goal here, Jesus was never like... Uh, hey, just be a doormat right. and don't ever stand right. for anything. Right. But he did say, lay down your life for your mm-hmm. friends and other things. And uh, the question becomes, how do I push back when I see X or that's when I see question. Y? So I think that's what gets that. I do want to make sure to touch on her other point that as yeah. to why Jesus turned over the temple. He didn't just get mad, right? There wasn't like a long line at the temple and he got really mad and he was like, <laughs> What's going on? Or it wasn't over a dispute about, you know, Masks. how much something <laughs> massive devil or how so much something cost at that table. Right. It was you're turning my father's house into a den of thieves, yeah. into a marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what made him mad. You talked about idolatry. It's yeah. idolatry. It's greed. The, mm-hmm. the righteous anger for Jesus came towards the religious people yes. who were leading people astray. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is right before that happened, we we uh, read about the widow's might, like giving mm-hmm. her la- the last, I mean, dime is not the right word, but the last dime she had for the church. And then we flip the page and we read this story of people in the marketplace selling and um, and being greedy mm-hmm. and creating a business out of gaining wealth out of the church rather than giving. And so those are in such stark contrast, I think intentionally to show us which attitude God prefers. And Mm -hmm. then obviously if that wasn't enough, you see Jesus flipping the tables. But I do think a word for all of us now is, I mean, you know, the hard part, Brian is like Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity has become an industrial complex where people can make money. Mm -hmm. And, where that line is from, look, I'm just creating a business as a Christian. This is my income to wait. Now I'm defiling God's house. I think I, I can't say that I know the answer, but I think we have to be really careful about not towing, not towing that line or tiptoeing around that. That's line. really good. So uh, the turning of the of the. The, the flipping of the tables in the temple, often misused, maybe used too broadly. Yeah. Uh, and we got to be really careful it's when good, we right? do that. Coming up next, 
Aubrey, something that I think you might feel a little strongly about, a little rule called the Billy Graham rule. I have feelings about it. I'm going to explain the Billy Graham rule and then let Aubrey talk about it. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, we teased this before our last break. We talked about the Billy Graham rule. People might be like, oh, I know Billy Graham, but what's this Billy Graham rule? Great he question. Didn't, he didn't name the rule, right? It, he he's did kind not of the name figurehead. the rule. Okay, yes. so this is not about Billy Graham, if you will. It's just something that he personally uh, did in his life. So as people yes. have learned about Billy Graham, his ministry, something he did. Some people try to make this into a rule then that everybody should follow. Yes. So let me just uh, say it this way. Billy Graham had a rule in his own life that he would never meet or eat alone with a woman who was not his wife. Yes. In private. Yes. All right. So he wouldn't have a meeting. If he needed to, he would do it other people around or whatever else. Maybe Mm -hmm. never eat a meal by himself. Mm -hmm. And Billy Graham did this for many reasons, one of which was that he was constantly traveling. So he would never travel alone with a woman, meet alone with a woman, eat alone with a woman. And he was very honest. It was to keep himself from sexual temptation. Okay. Also the appearance of impropriety, but also just recognizing in his own life, this won't be helpful for me. So the Billy Graham rule, we've heard about this for a long time. Like this Mm -hmm. is something that's out there, but it got kind of renewed cultural discussion when Vice President Mike Pence basically said, uh, said, I do. That's what I do. Like, right, that's how right. I and people are like, wait a minute. The vice president of the United States is saying <laughs> I can't meet with women yeah. or this or that. And the Gospel Coalition wrote about this the other day. How can I think about the Billy Graham rule? Um, but that's basically it. And it's uh, uh, you'll hear it much more in churches, but amongst believers that says. You as a man or as a woman, uh, because of our own temptations, but also out of deference to your spouse. Yes. Should not be alone with um, whether it be coworkers yeah. or people in your yeah. church or whatever who are not your spouse. And so yeah. uh, my wife, Carrie, under this should rest assured that I am not going to uh, be by myself with a yeah. woman, whether it be yeah. at Starbucks, in my office, yeah. whatever else yeah. it might be. So. Uh, this has been a long-standing tradition, I would say, in the church. Definitely, uh, I, Billy Graham didn't create this. The, the rule itself has his name on it yeah. now. Um, how have you seen this play out? And um, let's try to take a measured tone to this. Where are the <laughs> benefits and where are the drawbacks? Okay, that's nice. You're going to have me be measured because I have strong <laughs> feelings about the Billy Graham rule. Let let's me start let me measured, say this. And then I want to hear your strong. Let me opinions. say this. Nah, go strong. Billy Graham avoided controversy. Yes, he did. Billy Graham avoided uh, any type of scandal, uh, and so. I do believe Mr. Graham's heart was really to protect his ministry, the gospel, his wife and mm-hmm. other women. So I, I want to honor Billy Graham with the honor that is due to Mr. Graham. And in fact, I, I have a friend who used to work for him and there was an episode of the crown where they showed him meeting one-on-one with queen Elizabeth. And she said, absolutely not. He would never have done that. So he would not have even met with queen Elizabeth alone. Okay. So he was very <laughs> convicted about this. Here's why I say I have strong feelings about okay. this. I've been in ministry as long as you have, Brian. And I mean, I have I have had male colleagues yeah. as often as I have been in, in ministry. So that's over 20 years. And there have been many occasions in which 
I'm supposed to go to lunch with my mm-hmm. male colleagues. They will not ride in the car with me. Mm-hmm. Um, we are supposed to all attend a conference together. I am not allowed to travel with them or sit with them. Mm-hmm. And and I the problem with that is the Billy Graham rule over abundantly protects the men, allows the men to have space, have power, have proximity, have conversation, mm-hmm. move forward. It does not allow the woman any space. It also overabundantly oversexualizes women as if men can't be alone in an elevator with a woman without her trying to have sex with him. Mm-hmm. And like it also, I think, removes any sort of self-control to say, oh, I can't be alone with a woman. I'm going to accidentally have sex with her. I mean, it's just <laughs> a, it's become absurd. I think something that was meant to be protective and good has become like any form of legalism so absurd that one, like I said, it only protects the men. It over-sexualizes women. It turns them into objects. And it hasn't allowed women to thrive and flourish. It's only allowed men to because we all know like conversations where things move forward happen at lunch, on the golf course, right. at the conferences. At, and if women are left out of those conversations, which they have been for generations, then women aren't a part of like moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just have... I think the other problem I have is with this, like, well, what about the appearance of evil? I'm not sure that it's evil for men and women to be co-laborers for the gospel together. Mm -hmm. And we have so twisted it in our sin to make it evil that, you know, you can't even sit alone with your male colleague and talk about work-related things without people thinking there's something suspicious going on. I don't like that. I also think it only speaks of heterosexual attraction and we know that's not the only problem and also i think grown-ups are going to have sex with each other if they want to have sex with each other Mm. they're going to find a way to do it it's not going to be because of the billy graham rule Mm. now if my husband were to say to me i don't want you to meet with brian for lunch i wouldn't i would honor him Mm -hmm. and if i were to say to my husband i don't want you to meet with your female colleagues for lunch he wouldn't he Mm. would honor me but kevin and i have established in our marriage, we are comfortable with right. each other because we trust each other and we trust each other to be honest about our own. Yeah, what I don't know is whether Billy Graham or not said everybody should do this. But yeah. he said for my own yeah. life, I think there there. So I've got certain things, right? Like I try not to meet with women in my office when nobody else is around. Yeah. Right. Like there's some wisdom to it. But you're 100 percent right when it says. If you're going to put up these guys, you know, if you feel like you need these parameters in your own life, and let's say you're you're the senior pastor and you're a guy, mm-hmm. you're a male, if you're going to set up these parameters, you have got to find the venues for women to be able to flourish and yeah. to speak. It can't yeah. just be, I'm not going to meet with you. Right. I'm not going to do this. Right. Uh, some proponents of the Billy Graham rule would say things like this. They would say, uh, hey, look at Bill Hybels. Look at Ravi Zechariah. Absolutely. Look at this. Yeah. But I think what I heard you say was, listen, that was not an issue of being caught off guard because they met with somebody in their office. Right. That's just uh, a, right. that's an and, issue of depravity. And, and by the way, this was Ravi Zacharias's rule by by oh, all right? public appearance. He said he obeyed the oh, Billy Graham rule and the man did it. And so that's what I mean. People are going to uh, do what they want to do, whether or not they say there are other ways like, hey, if you're if you're going to meet with a colleague and you feel uncomfortable, but you know you need to like call a friend and say, "Hey, I'm going to go meet with this. I'm going to go meet with this person of the opposite sex. I'm very attracted to them. I don't want to do anything untoward. Can you just call me afterwards and let me know? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. but we have to be professionals. I feel mm-hmm. like Christians do not know how to be professional people and treat each other with equality, and it just 
I don't have a lot of patience for Yeah. Him. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And as two people, well, I'm a guy, you're a girl, we host a radio show yeah. together, so we have to meet We do, and times. we talk about a lot of things because our spouses are comfortable with they it. They are. They are. Again, I, I want to say the Billy Graham rule worked for Billy Graham, but in the, in the culture we live in right now, uh, in the world we live in, I think like you said, if you're at all going to adhere to this, you've got to then ask the really hard questions as to... Uh, a, do you really think that's going to protect you from all temptation? Like, yeah. what's going on in your soul? Let's look deeper. But B, then how are you going to allow the women in your in your organization or vice versa? Yeah, right. Uh, to flourish, to thrive, to thrive. Yeah. And I'd have the conversation with your spouse. Go, hey, what do you think about this rule? How do you feel when I? Yeah. Meet? Like you said, you and Kevin are going to come to stuff within your marriage, and you would never say everybody should do this. Absolutely not. But you're going to say this. Uh, is what we're comfortable. So the yeah. Billy Graham rule, Google it too if you want. You'll find some uh, strong opinions either way that are very interesting. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And it is Friday. One of our favorite things to do each and every Friday is a top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. Brian, a week ago, we had a taste of spring with a beautiful, sunshiny day. We know that spring is in the future as the weather is slowly, slowly, slowly beginning to change. And so we thought we would talk about top five things we are looking forward to in the spring in Chicago. So mm-hmm. as Chicago begins to thaw out, now we know this happens slowly. We, we're very aware, but we are just going to move forward with hope, believing spring is on the way. What are the top five things that Brian and I are most excited about with spring coming? Brian, do you have a number five? I do. And well, we also know that it could snow at any point in the spring. Uh, yes, but exactly. We're holding on. We're pretending like that's not yep, true. Yep, yep. My number five, again, need a little bit of warmth, but that comes at mm-hmm, some point mm-hmm, in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, grilling and eating outside. Oh, Brian. Okay, that is so close to my number five. Mm. You're so close, but yes, grilling and eating outside. I love that smell of a grill. And then you go inside, you can smell it on yourself. Mm-hmm. It usually means you're having burgers yes. and dogs. But then when it's warm enough to just take, take it, it to outside. the table right there. Uh, I love it. I love it. Are you the griller at your house or is Carrie? I I am. My wife does basically all the other cooking there is. Yeah. Uh, But if if meat needs to be grilled. That's your job. That is my job. I'm kind of old school in that I I do feel like the man needs to grill. So well (laughs) well done. Okay, Brian, mine is so similar. It's eating outdoors at restaurants. Like I love, oh, I love sitting on the back patio of a restaurant, eating my food, maybe having a glass of wine. Like it is my delight to Mm. get to do that especially on date nights with my husband's or girls night out a husband or girls night out with my friend i only have one husband uh that is i i'm so with you i love and just the sunshine soaking up especially after a long winter like that i i love that so i i get it awesome. all right do you have a number four i do number four and i've been doing this less often with uh as my kids get older and their schedules mm-hmm. get more busy uh but with the coming of nice weather i love to go golfing that did i know oh, that about you I, I you're a golfer you i love to go golfing okay i am i a golfer no 
golf now, there's two things that stop me from golfing. Second and smaller is the money because you always find it's a cheaper course, right? but it's expensive. Okay. It's just the time. And you're talking, you got you to carve out five hours. Yeah, it's a whole day thing. Yeah. It is. But man, when I get out on the course mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful day, you got some friends out with you, mm-hmm. not much better. Okay. Than, all your cares go away. Okay. So love to go golfing. Okay, golfing. That's your thing. All right. My, uh, this is the closest thing I get to a sport, Brian, like golf. I love walking around the Arboretum mm. when it's springtime. It, it, the flowers are blooming and the trees are changing and it's so peaceful and beautiful and connect with God and just think about life. And it's so enjoyable. That is walking around the Arboretum. Morton Arboretum is one of my favorite things to do as the weather gets warmer. I love the Morton Arboretum. We go there often. Do you uh, do you have a favorite spot in the Arboretum? I do. There, I almost don't want to say it because it feels very sacred <laughs> to me. But there's a bench by where they grow the magnolias. It's a like a bench swing, actually. And I usually start there, spend some time in prayer. And then there's a long path that I walk to that honeycomb-shaped canopy. I know where you are. And then I sit there and I pray. And then I walk back. It feels very magical and foresty and God is there and I love it. So I love walking around the Arboretum too, but you just made me feel guilty because yours is a prayerful experience. Mine is ve- I, I'm very spiritual. I'm a very good Christian <laughs> at the Martin Arboretum. It's nice. true. It's true. Number three for me, this is a very specific time of spring. Okay. Spring break! Woohoo! Yeah, spring break. I love spring break. Nice. We always... We always do something for spring break, including this upcoming year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do just love to go. Like you know, you've you've made it through the winter time. You've kind of endured, yes. and it's just you know how much you've gotten to know me. How much I love more than anything a family trip with mm-hmm. my kids. You know, my my daughter's about to go to college. So this oh, is like spring break. Wow. So I'm just super excited. Love spring break. I wrote yeah. on my list, spring break, exclamation wow. break, spring break. Okay. Spring yes. break 2023. <laughs> uh, okay. 2022. 2022. <laughs> I keep doing that. I don't know what year it is. All right. Um, so mine is that uh, in spring, both Kevin and I have back-to-back birthdays. So mm. it is birthday season at our house, and I love celebrating my birthday. I okay. will make you celebrate it for a month, Brian, just to prepare you. So It's coming. Interestingly... Uh, me, my wife, and my youngest daughter all have birthdays in the spring, and I didn't make my list. <laughs> wow. You might need to rethink your list a little bit, Brian. Yeah, we're huh. all we're all within 11 days of each other wow. in May. Oh, that's right. I remember that. That's so fun. Yep, yeah. Yep. That, that sh- you need to rethink your list. You're going to get in I am, trouble. I am exactly 11 days older than Carrie. And nice. Uh, nice. she hates, ever since we got married, I'm always like, in those 11 days, I'm always saying things like, you just can't understand I know. me. Or I robbed the cradle. And she's like, just stop. That's, Kevin is literally a day older than me, and he does those same jokes. He's a day He's older a than day you? a day older than me. I've yeah. met very few couples who are closer in age than Carrie and I. Isn't that funny? A day. One day. Wow. One day older than me. And he'll rub it in that my weekend? face. Uh, oh, me. For sure. <laughs> always. I won. I won. All right. My number two. Uh, I was going to just put... Going for walks, but I were actually walking the dogs. Oh, okay, that's because whether I, whether it's just me walking the dogs, yeah. I don't really walk both. Are before when we only had one dog, it was a lot easier to do that. But I just love when it's gotten warm enough in the evening time to go take the dogs and walk. Mm. I prefer it like the whole family. Yeah, we'll take you know when the whole family goes for a walk, we'll take the dogs yeah. with us. But the dogs are kind of the ones who are. 
like like the constants here on the okay. walk. And they have gotcha. such joy on a walk. They love it. Nice. So it's like that ability, kind of like your Arboretum ones, that ability to be outside yeah. walking again. Yeah, that's so nice, especially when you've been like stuck in the house for what feels like years. Yes. Okay, um, this one is a general one, but I actually, my number two, I actually really appreciate, okay, I... Let me say this. I don't like the time change. I don't like falling backward or springing forward, but I like longer daylight hours. It is so nice that like at 430, it's not pitch black. It just Mm -hmm. makes you feel a little better. Your mood is a little better. You know you can get more vitamin D. The hours just, you don't feel as tired as early. So I like longer daylight hours in the spring. That's a good one. All right, I don't have any honorable mentions. Do you have any that you want to share? Well, or? I do have an honorable mention, and I almost put it on the list, but it's not Chicago-specific. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to be Chicago-specific here, Brian, but I, ah, this one is a little tricky for me because I'm torn if it should be number one or not. But I'm an, I'll just say this. My sister is having her first baby. This will be my first niece wow. uh, or nephew. I mean, my first on this side of the family, and that baby's due in June. And so I like cannot wait Wait to hold my new little niece. Nieces and nephews very are fun. Exciting. They're yeah, fun. Very okay. Exciting, yeah. So my number one, this will not surprise you, although this is difficult in Chicago because it can be 70 degrees or it can be 30 degrees. And that will change the joy of what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm, so let's mm-hmm. pretend that it's like 60. Okay. Maybe it's the evening and it gets yes. down to 50 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's very few things that bring me greater joy than to go to my kids' baseballs and softball oh, games. Oh, that's baseball so fun. Baseball and softball games. That's I so love fun. it. Uh, watching those games, sitting outside, knowing summer's coming, like this is going to be this constant part, get to know the other parents. Uh, it's a joy. I love it. I used to coach my son's team, not so much anymore now that he's in travel ball. But going to my kids' baseball, so Jackson plays baseball, Emily plays softball. Going to their games is a blast. Awesome. Brian, I'm just looking at our list, realizing as pastors, neither one of us put Easter. I did not. And so I I feel like for both of us, I'm just going to say Easter is the umbrella under which we celebrate all of these other things. All of these other things. All right. Well, that is our top five. No, you didn't give us your number one. Oh, 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 sorry. I was so torn (laughs) about my niece that that was my number one. I just was torn. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't clear. I was torn if that was an honorable mention or my number one. And I went with it being my number one. Gotcha. Cannot wait to hold her. She's going to be so cute. All right. Well, that is our top five list. Let us know if. Uh, if there's anything we missed or more specifically, if there's anything you would add to the list, what is on your top five things you are looking forward to in Chicago in the spring? We want to hear from you when we return. We've got some wild and wacky stories from the Internet to share with you. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and it is the end of the show. It is the end of the week. We hope you have an amazing weekend plan. One of the things that we love to do at the end of every show and at the end of every week is to share with you some wild and wacky stories from the Internet, that Mm -hmm. crazy place called the Internet. And one of our favorite things about what we do here is that uh, our executive producer, Keith Conrad, sends you and I articles that he found that are especially kind of wild and wacky. We have never seen them before until this very moment. We are opening them up as we're sharing them with you. So you get to see our real here, our real time reactions as they happen. 
Brian, are you ready? I'm ready to go first. I got this. All right, let's go. The first one's out of Armenia. Oh, okay. Armenian man does pull-ups from a flying helicopter for world record. There's a picture of this, and it's amazing. Yeah, and also look in the picture. Way in the background, there's a there's a merry-go-round. I mean, there's a... Yeah, Carousel. Ferris wheel. Yeah. All right, Ferris wheel. Uh, an Armenian athlete set his second Guinness World Record by performing 23 pull-ups in one minute from a flying helicopter. Unbelievable. Guinness World Record shared a video showing Roman Saharadon performing pull-ups from one of the helicopter skids as it hovers several feet off the ground. Uh, he previously set the Guinness World Record for most consecutive gymnastic high bar giants in 2011 when he completed 1,001 of the spinning maneuver. Oh, my gosh, that would kill me. Unbelievable. I couldn't even do 23 pull-ups now anywhere, let I was alone just from hanging that. from a helicopter. I don't think I could do one, but let alone from helicopter. If you can't see the picture, he is about five feet off the ground. Yeah, he's not. I mean... It's still impressive. Yes. But, but not you're right. He's not floating through the air. Yes. It's not death defying. If he falls, he'll be fine. I think, I know this isn't actually logical, but I think I would just be afraid that one of the helicopter propellers, propellers would like chop my head off. I know that doesn't make sense because he's under it, but I don't want to be that close to a propeller chopper. Chopper, propeller, helicopter, propeller. I mean, that's, that, I that's suppose how I feel about that's this fair because it could come under the helicopter for some reason. Um, okay. Anyway, we'll move on from that. Here's a story out of Australia. We got stories from around the globe today. Oblivious winner dodged lotteries phone calls for days. <laughs> this is a great story. An Australian woman found out she had won a lottery jackpot of more than $70,000 after multiple days of dodging phone calls that she assumed were scammers. The French's Forest, New South Wales, woman told the lot officials she bought a ticket or the lottery officials. She bought a ticket for the February 25th Lucky Lottery but then she forgot her to check her account after the drawing. Lottery officials tried contacting the winner by phone, but the woman ignored the call for several days, assuming they were scam related. I, I think totally I would have done that, that too. Yes. Right? I received some phone calls. This is a quote from her, an email straight after the draw, but I didn't recognize the phone number email, so I didn't take any answer or take any notice. Or I didn't answer or take any notice. I said to myself, it's definitely a scam. She ignored those for days, but then eventually went on to her account and discovered she had won over $72,000. Good for her. I know. Isn't that great? What a great story. I would have ignored those calls for good. I would have, too. All right. Third one out of the country, India. Medical student has Bluetooth device surgically implanted in ear to cheat on an exam. No. A medical student in India has recently caught cheating on his graduation exam with a Bluetooth device embedded in his inner ear to avoid detection. On February 21st, 78 medical students took part in the final MBBS exam at Mahatma Gandhi, at Mahatma Gandhi Medical College in India. One of them, however, was more desperate to pass than the rest. Apparently, the unnamed medical student had been admitted 11 years ago but had failed the final exam multiple times over the last few years, <laughs> and this was his final chance to pass. Wow. To increase his chances, the man apparently turned to cheating, getting a Bluetooth device surgically implanted. According to the newspaper, the student was caught by a member of a flying squad, the name given to control teams that can move or act swiftly as they were conducting physical searches. Oh, he was uh, the doctor was frisking the student when he found a mobile phone in a concealed pocket of his trousers. Upon inspection, the device was found to be tuned, uh, turned on and connected to a Bluetooth mm. device. So basically, he got he went to the point of getting it surgically put 
so that he could get answers from a buddy over the phone. Hey, A for effort. A for effort. I'm also, I mean, I wouldn't want this guy practicing medicine on me if he no. can't even pass a test. No. I'm going to be honest about that. So I'm glad they well, found the him. Other doctors could give him like instructions through the Bluetooth. I guess that's true. He'll just do that as long yes. as he's in practice. Make yeah. incision there. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a scary thought. Okay, I'm glad he got caught. Okay, we're bringing it back to the States, Brian. We are in Colorado where a family dog finds a mountain lion under the decking in a Colorado home. The family's dog found a mountain lion. I'm assuming the dog is still alive. Under the decking of their home in Boulder, Colorado on Sunday, Colorado Parks and Wildlife and Boulder Police Department responded after the family alerted them to the big cat that had been discovered by their dog. They found the mountain lion underneath the decking of a house in central Boulder. There are images online if you want to look for it. It was a uh, male weighing around 120 pounds, slightly underweight for male mountain lions. And um, apparently encounters between mountain lions and humans are very rare where they try to avoid people as possible. But for some reason, this mountain lion was underneath someone's deck. I would not be excited about that. I would be terrified. Mm -hmm. That would be terrifying. Mm -hmm. Last one. I like that story. Just north of us here, up in Wisconsin, the land of cheese. Here we go. Man arrested after police chase in stolen skid steer. An Appleton man was arrested after he allegedly stealing a piece of heavy machinery and leading police on a chase through two communities. No way. Grand Chute police say just before 8 a.m., Appleton police notified them of a stolen skid steer headed toward the town. The skid steer came into Grand Chute on Capitol Drive, telling us exactly how it got there. The skid steer continued along the railroad tracks there. Police were able to safely approach the vehicle, get the driver out and arrest him. The alcohol's coming. I know it's coming. It's I have not read coming. ahead, but it's coming. 37-year-old man was turned over to Appleton Police for the activity in the town of Grand Chute. Police there are recommending charges of criminal damage to property, disorderly conduct, and resisting. Appleton Police identified the man as Tyler Petschke. He was arrested on charges of operating a motor vehicle without owner's consent. Operating while intoxicated. Misdemeanor resisting, misdemeanor criminal damage to property, and additional warrants. Something I've learned from doing these stories over three years, Aubrey. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's crazy, uh-huh. it involves alcohol. It involves alcohol, especially if it's crazy and driving. If it's Wisconsin, <laughs> it involves, and the two combined, no-brainer. No uh, a skid I, steer. I feel like this is a story where a bunch of dudes were out drinking, and all the buddies were like, we dare you to go get that skid steer. And he's like, I will. And, and then none of his friends got in trouble because so they all ran away. Hopefully it was an all-night deal, and that's why it was 8 a.m. as opposed to like... Like this happened. Night, he got a good night's sleep. <laughs> woke he got up, up the next like, morning. Hey, yeah. So there you go. Oh, there you go. Well, that is the wild and wacky world of the internet for you. I hope that you were entertained by some of those stories. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.